0: Excited actually to be able to to do this um, and to be able to to jump in at the conclusion. It's it's a big deal when uh, when a pastor lets you conclude uh, their series and especially um, you know Brian's here and everything. So um, very cool. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. And um, uh, it, this is great. I, I geek out on I geek out on the story of God. I geek out on the big picture um, of of uh, the Bible and and the way it all comes together. Um, And I've been reading this um, biography of Martin Luther. Um, You might have heard of him. He he started the Reformation. Um, And um, it's so interesting because back in his day, like, he did this thing that nobody ever did. He he read the Bible. And, like, he did this thing that, like, actually, like, priests and monks and people who were, like, theologians never did. He read the Bible. Like, it's crazy, but in his day, like, Bibles weren't available. Nobody, like, had them. Nobody read them. Even people who were trained in them. Literally... When, when you started to get trained theologically, your first year, they gave you a Bible, and at the end of the year, they took it back. Like, it's crazy. Today, like, in our pockets, on our phones, we have access to every, like, known translation of the Bible around today, usually multiple versions in multiple languages, And the thing that's crazy about it is, like, we have the same problem today that they had then. Most people don't read the Bible. So we don't know what it says. Like, we have more, like, their problem was they didn't know how to read, and they didn't, and it was written in Latin, and they didn't know, they didn't have access to it. And then for us today, it's, there's so many, like, we, we, we can, like, read the Bible and commentaries on it and all kinds of things, and yet we tend to not actually open it and read the words and see what it has to say. So I'm really excited about the, your biblical literacy and, and reading through it and, um, and also just to do this series to kind of like frame it all because sometimes just kind of slogging through it, it's hard to like, you know, know how to put it all in context. So um, hopefully this, this series is helping you do all that um, and especially uh, because stories matter. Uh, the, the stories that we have in our minds, the stories that we have in our head, they really, they, they determine the life that we live. They, they shape the direction that our lives take. Um, I, I just watched this movie reminding me of this the other day. Um, in May 1940, Nazi Germany taking over Europe. Um, England was worried that, that they were going to be taken over by Nazi Germany. And um, this guy that most people did not like and didn't believe in in the English government was elected prime minister. His name was Winston Churchill. Um, we have one view of him, but in real time, like, people, all, like, all the leadership was trying to get him out the moment he was elected. Like, they were not happy and thought that Winston Churchill was going to ruin England. And, and the thing is, there was two competing stories. There was two competing narratives. Most of the leadership thought, hey, there's this guy who's, like, doing stuff in Europe. It's not going real well. What we should do is we don't have a very big army and things. We're, we're not doing great. What we should do is we should try to negotiate peace with, with Hitler. And what, um, and what Churchill's narrative was, his story was, this guy is a tyrant. He is taking over and killing people he is conquering, he's not like, he's not peacefully like, you know, gathering up a little bit more territory. Like his, his like goal is to take over and rule and put us under his, and put us under his boot. Like the only way you can deal with a tyrant like that is to fight and win. That's our only option. Like win or lose, nothing in between. And as we know, history goes on to say that, um, he was right and that's what they did. And nobody in England speaks um, German, they speak English. So, um, All that to say, stories um, stories matter, and the stories that we believe, both large and small, they they drive our lives. And so, um, as Brian said, the the last few weeks we've been going through the story of the Bible, so that we can get, um, so that we can the story of God, so that we can actually get our minds around this story and understand how this story can drive um, our lives as well. And 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 we've been um, going with the theory, as he said, that you know the the Bible it's sixty six books. Um, over thousands of years that ultimately it's crazy. My, my undergrad, was, I was a liter- literature major, and as a, a literature major, like it, I, I geek out over how much the, the literary structure of the Bible written over all this period of time by all these people all over the place nevertheless has all these like really cool, precise linkages all through it to make one unified story that really does have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so, um, and so uh, this morning we get to come to the end, and I think in order to, to understand the end and to put it in context, it's worthwhile for us to, to start by just doing a quick, a quick review of kind of where we've come through, like to remind us of the story up till now, then we'll take some time in Revelation and, and conclude the story, get this act, this chapter, and then uh, I'll say some things uh, about it uh, by way of application at the end, so um so first of all um we'll start with um yeah there's there's the story you'll see that again um the story of the kingdom creation fall or rebellion I don't really like the word fall but I don't really know why um uh redemption and restoration um and it's a cool painting about that like yay awesome painting um uh and so um all I have to say is we review the stories creation rebellion redemption restoration and we started off A number of weeks ago, God created the heavens and the earth, creation, there we have people creating, uh, creation, God created the heavens uh, and the earth, Um, he um, uh, created the physical creation, he called it good, Uh, just we'll hear that again about the physical creation, God made this place, he made stuff. And he called it good, um, which which is very cool. Um, and uh, he created humans and invited us to join him, be co-creators, to to participate with him in, in his project in the world that we actually get to be a part of what he's doing. Um, he gave us two sort of commands, two mandates to rule the earth. And, and in doing that, it's as we bear God's image, we're image bearers. Um, it, it, in the, the language, and I don't have time to go into it, but and in the language of the way Genesis develops, it sounds a lot like an ancient temple uh, where they would build the whole thing out. And the final thing that they would do is they would put the image of a God, of the God for the temple in the, in the temple so that you could, like, interact with, the, interact with the God, right? And God does the same thing when he, when he creates the earth. The final act is he puts the image of the God in the temple, you and me. It's like, it's so cool. So we, we rule the earth. We're, we're his image bearers. We we, um, we reflect him, represent him in the earth. And then we fill the earth, populate uh, the earth. We fill the earth with culture and developing the world. Um, I think God actually delights in um, iPhones and uh, space shuttles and um, and Lucky Charms and whatever. like Because God has made a world with the components to do these things. God's not like, oh. Why did you make a space rocket? No. He's like, great. You guys figured this out. I made everything so that you could do that. So uh, populate culture and then character, that we would reflect his kingdom uh, of wisdom, righteousness, justice, love, and mercy. So first chapters, creation. Then, um, of course, uh, we don't stay there. Um, we move to rebellion. Uh, Everything falls apart Uh, in the next chapter. First, you know, we have two chapters. Everything begins. Next chapter, everything falls apart. Humans are seduced into full-scale rebellion against the Lord. We turn uh, away from him. We doubt God's character. We see Adam and Eve doubt who God is, doubt what he's said, um, and instead begin to advance their own kingdom. They think they can do it better their way rather than God's way, um, and that results in a ruptured relationship where Adam and Eve are kicked out and humans are kicked out of uh, the Garden of Eden, uh, frustrated in our ability to co-create with God. That um, there's pain in childbirth. There's uh, the the labor work that we do is all is all frustrated with with toil and, and difficulty. Um, and uh, of course, death itself, uh, and literally that, like they go from not having death to God says you will die, and they do, and you and I will too. Um, so uh, death is introduced. So there's rebellion. So we have creation, we have rebellion. Um, then we do um, restoration and uh, redemption and restoration. So it's kind of interesting the way the whole story unfolds, and this will give you like context that like you know act one of the story is chapters one and two of Genesis. Act 2 is chapter 3 of Genesis. Act 4 is 1,200 pages in your Bible, or, or a long scroll on your app, depending on how you access the Bible. But, uh, but the next act is like, it's, it's like the, the big chunk, like it's what's framed by this whole thing. And so we move um, immediately into re- redemption, restoration, uh, beginning with Israel, um, uh, oh yeah, we see this, this pattern I did this last time Pattern in God's relationship with, with humanity He devotes himself to humanity through covenant We've seen that There's this pattern And and again, if you're reading Judges right now you'll, you'll hear this pattern Like think about what you've read And see if this pattern sounds familiar to you That God devotes himself to humanity Or he, he enters into covenant Humanity rejects God as creator and king Through sin and rebellion Um, Eventually, humanity suffers consequences, fear, pain, suffering, death, all these things. And eventually, God steps in again and provides some means to redeem and restore and give life again to his people, right? And as you're reading Judges, like, that happens over and over and over and over again. And once you see that in Judges, then step back and look at the whole Bible, and you'll see that happens over and over and over again. So, he comes in and devotes himself to Israel um, first of all. I think that's what's next. Oh, darn it! Okay, provides way of redemption, sin restores to a place of building his kingdom. Like I said, and he does that with Israel. Um, see Israel. So he comes into um, and and he, he starts off with with Adam uh, when they when they reject him. He makes the the loincloth and and. Uh, redeems them, uh, restores and redeems them to a relationship with him. Uh, then things go sideways again. Um, he, uh, he, the, the world goes crazy. He decides um, this, isn't, uh, this isn't going the way it should, so he um, floods the world and um, starts with, um, it's kind of crazy, it's kind of a mini new creation with Noah. There's a lot of the same language between what God says to Adam and Eve and what God says to Noah. Um, so he, he starts the project afresh. Continues, He says, I'm not going to do that again. And, um, and then Abraham comes on the scene, as we saw a few weeks ago. God makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants uh, that they will be, a, a, all people will be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Um, that continues. His descendants uh, are the Israelites. Um, and eventually he tells them, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Israel as a nation is supposed to represent God to continue to carry out that, that um, the project that God gave Adam and Eve and Noah and everybody up to this point. Um, and uh, they don't do so hot, and they end up in the, in the judges um, where uh, he keeps raising up a deliverer and leaders. That's not going super great. So eventually he, he said, they start crying out, you know, we need a king. If only we had a king. If there was a king, our problem is we don't have kings like other nations. And finally, um, and finally he raises up a king, David, and he says, i got to read this one here, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And so God promises that there will be this king who will lead Israel and lead his, his people and, like, the rest of the Bible from David forward, the, the, like, question in the narrative is, like, is this the guy? Is it Solomon? Oh, it's David's son. Is it Solomon? Ah. You know, is this the guy? Is this the guy? Is this the guy? And every time, it's definitely not the guy. Like, every time. Um, there's a couple that look promising. Uh, nope. So, um, and then we get to, uh, and then we get to, Uh, The New Testament Because none of those work And we get to uh, Jesus the king arrives Right This promised king Where do we get the notion of the king This is promised to David All of a sudden Here's Jesus He comes onto the scene And he arrives And all along We've seen God continue this, This notion of salvation Of rescuing Israel from danger Rescuing his people from danger Over and over and over again And Jesus comes And he does this like Whole new definitive Way, Like, he's not a king. He is the king. So when he goes, uh, when he goes to the cross, he, he, like, deals this, like, deadly blow to sin, the death, and the devil. And he uh, redeems human, humanity from sin and restores us to the kingdom once and for all. It's um, it, 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 and he um, puts us in this place where once again we can enjoy God's fellowship, that once again we can reflect his image, we can be image bearers uh, in the world, and we can fill the world with his kingdom of justice, mercy, love, and holiness. And, and we live in this time where Jesus, um, again, to, to use the World War II thing, uh, a lot of theologians, they talk about we live in the already not yet, where already like like. Uh, sin has been defeated And uh, the effects of our rebellion Have been have been defeated by Jesus And there's new life Available but like there's this Future life and that's what we'll get To in a moment there's this future thing That's coming but we're not quite There yet but we can taste it The The language of the New Testament is that We have a foretaste of that And so Jesus establishes this sort of Already not yet it's like uh, World War II it's like it's you know the difference Between D-Day and V-Day so like when D-Day happened, you know, they conquered, um, you know, they, they established the beachhead, they, they, the Allied forces made this way in, they essentially won the war, but after D-Day, there was a bunch more battles that had to be fought because uh, there were still the opposing forces and it wasn't until sometime later, don't ask me how long, I don't remember, um, sometime later that they had uh, Victory Day, V-Day, when in fact the war was in truly over, no more battles, Germany laid down their arms and it was done. Um, and so we're, we now live in this in-between time when, when victory's been accomplished, but it hasn't been, um, it hasn't been realized in its full. And because of that, we're in the period of the church, which we saw last week was where um, Jesus raised up his 12 disciples, 12 apostles, reconstituting Israel. Anytime you see the number 12 in the Bible, that's important. Um, and uh, reestablishes his kingdom of God, as we've been saying, where it breaks in now and anticipates the future um, and gives us the Holy Spirit, um, the presence of God in us. And again, all through the presence of God is this massive thing. Adam and Eve get to walk with God in the cool of the day. Like they walk around the garden with God, right? But one of the consequences of rebellion is that they no longer have access to the presence of God in that same way. Eventually, with Israel, we get the, the tabernacle and the temple where, uh, where God's pre- presence is, is located in this, in this place, right? In this one mountain on the planet. And you can go and, and uh, the, there's one person, the high priest, once a year that has access to God's presence in the Holy of Holies. And he goes in with a rope, around, a rope around his ankle with bells attached, no joke, so that if he dies in the presence of God for the sins of Israel, they can haul him out. That's, that's the presence of God for most of the Bible. Um, cool, huh? <laughs> and, um, and then we get to, to Jesus, and all of a sudden the presence of God is located in Jesus walking around on the earth, which is like unfathomable, but we don't have time, so we can keep moving. And now we have the, the presence of God in us, and that will be important Important later. So, um, so he's developing through his spirit a community empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the resurrected King Jesus in Judea, Judea, uh, Judea, sorry, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, both where it all began, in every nation, tribe, tongue, language, and on and on and on, um, is where he's going. So, this is now. This is where we live. Like when you read the book of when you read everything after the Gospels, that's us. Until we get to this final chapter, uh, final restoration. Why I chose those houses, I can't tell you. But they look cool, right? They're like nice and pretty. Their old houses renewed. I think that's the idea, I don't know. Anyway, um, look at the pretty houses in Europe. Um, anyway, um, so we get to, um, to the final restoration of the kingdom. And to do that, we're gonna jump into the book of Revelations. Just kidding, the book of Revelation. He's not even in the room anymore, so it's not fun to like, say it anymore. Um, you can just tell him I did it. Uh, anyway, the book of Revelation, I gotta just say this. Um, uh, like a quick like, disclaimer on it. Um, there's a lot of questions that come up with the book of Revelation. Um, you know there's the 666 and the mark of the beast and tribulation and rapture and um, I have I have a friend that um, he's all about the freaky images he he like has a theory that uh, maybe it was like aliens that came down to um, uh, to John and like showed him some like alien tech and John didn't know how to describe it so he wrote the book of Revelation I mean you know it's just like people have a hard time knowing what to do with a lot of the imagery in the book of Revelation and you know, for some people, like that's it's you know, it, what happens in this book is is kind of your thing or whatever, and um, all those questions, what all, all these things are, and I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot longer list than that, of course. What all these things are, those are important questions, and they're worth asking and worth answering. Um, uh, but um, I'm not going to do that today um, because I'm not really doing a thing on Revelation. I'm really looking at the last. Act of the story of God, focusing in on those last two chapters where we have the final act of God. So my my focus is just different. Um, but as I as I said last service, um, you know I know Brian one day will do a series on Revelation and he'll answer all those questions for you in detail, and you can totally ask him when he'll do that. Um, so, but our focus today is just on um, on Revelation 21 and 22. So. Um, that raises the question as we're as we're like trucking through the, the the history of God. Eventually, like there comes the time after our time, which is eternity, <laughs> right? It's like forever from from later and forever from the future. And so it kind of raises the question: Where will we spend eternity? Um, and it's common for Christians to talk about going to heaven right? Like, that, that's, that's something that's very common in, in Christian language. Um, and it is clear that when we die, we go to be in the presence of God, Paul says, um, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So we know that we do, um, when we die in this time, we know that we do, you know, go in, in, into God's realm. Um, again, like, like Pastor Brian said last week, you know, Billy Graham is in God's presence. And like, in some sense, we can call that, whatever that is, we can call that heaven. I mean, it's, it's where God is, we, no, no question, right? Um, so that's, that's true. Um, and then we have songs that, like, say, like, um, this is one of the first songs that I learned, like, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, right? Um, but is it? Uh, we'll see. Um, it's, I, I, I would argue it's actually not a very close reading of the text, um, the Old Testament hope, the New Testament hope. If you really pay attention to, um, to, to what the Bible really says, it doesn't. The, the The focus is not that one day we'll go up to heaven and be with God, and that that's the that's the goal. Um, the goal is actually resurrection. And one of the things that um, that's kind of like trippy about the resurrection of Jesus is. Um, the Jewish people, people in the first century, they were anticipating the resurrection of God's people. They looked forward to that day. But what they didn't, they knew at the end of time that, that God's people would be raised. But what nobody on the planet thought about was the idea that one person would be raised in the middle of time. So, like a lot of people try to explain away the resurrection by saying, like, oh, his disciples, you know, they made up a bunch of stories to prove that he was God. So they made up the resurrection. It wouldn't have proven that he was God to them. That's not what the resurrection is. It's not. It's not just evidence that Jesus is God. It's. It is the beginning of this new creation. He is raised in anticipation of this new creation. He is the paradigm, the first fruits, the firstborn of the new creation, and he's a paradigm for what is going to happen to us, so that we understand what's going on. And as he's raised, he is raised to be truly the king, uh, the king in full um, of, of the world. So. Um, All that to say, where will we spend eternity? Well, it's not that we go to heaven, but... Next slide, please. But the story actually ends as it begins, and then some. So you have heaven, and there's earth, and what happens is heaven actually descends down to earth. That is what... The Bible actually, um, what it actually teaches. You see, um, if you look in Revelation 21, uh, starting in verse one, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So we have to understand, looking at the whole story of God, that God cares about his creation. God created the world and like you remember over and over and over again, what does he say? You know, and God created, you know, uh, the, the, on the second day, God created the, I'm not going to get the days right, you know, created the fish of the air and the birds of the sea and he said, and that, that was horrible. And the animals didn't come till way later than the second day. I'm up here, my brain's like a little fried, but um, but the, the point is, like, you know, this refrain, like, every time God creates something, right? It, you remember what it says? It says, um, you know, and God saw that it was lame. And God saw that this was a bad thing that needed to be done away with. No, it says, and, and God saw that it was good every time, right? Until he creates humans, and then he says, and he saw it was very good, right? Very cool. So God actually cares about his creation, and, um, you know, we know from, from Paul that it's not just us, it's not just humans that, that um, experience the, the effect of, of our rebellion, but the entire creation effects, uh, experiences the effects. And, and we know that, that uh, the creation is awaiting the day that it is resurrected in the same way that Jesus is, that it is renewed and made, and made new. In, in Romans, in chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for this hope we are saved. So I'm I just making the point that like sometimes when we're being spiritual, we get so spiritual that we lose sight that the Bible actually made. Like, the Bible talks about that God made a physical place and made physical beings to inhabit it with physical non-humans to be a part of it. And God cares about the whole thing. Now, we, of course, have a special place in it. We are his image bearers uniquely. So that's, that's precious and that's special, but it's not the only thing. That's not the only project that God has. God is not trying to deliver our disembodied souls to a disembodied heaven. He is actually going to, he's actually going to resurrect everything, redeem and renew the whole creation. Um, so it's very, very cool. Um, and as, as, um, heaven is brought to earth, um, we are going to actually experience God's presence. Remember, we talked about where is God's presence throughout the history of the story, right? We're going to actually experience his presence. Uh, Again, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So shockingly, God himself is going to come to earth and and dwell with us. We don't go to be with God. God comes to be with us. I mean, just, just stop for a second and think about that. Like, think about the difference in the story between we leave to go to be with him versus God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, comes to live with us. Like, you know, it's like, you can, go visit, you, know, you can go visit the Queen of England, right? And you can go to Buckingham Palace and you can go live with her. Or she can come live with you. Like, that's different, right? Like, it's different. And, and God's a little bit more important than the Queen of England. So, um, for example, he's a real king. Um, thank you. Uh, my mom's English, so I can, I can joke about that. So, and then... He tells us that there's no more tears or death or pain. Like, what's the effect of God renewing the world? All that, all that is, is removed. He says, uh, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. I don't know what you've experienced in your life. I don't know what pain, what grief, what trauma, I, I, what, what things that you have experienced in this. But like, I, I think of it this way. You know, I'm a dad. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, we have um, a son, David, our oldest son. He has um, a genetic disorder called de delange syndrome. And um, he's, he's 15. He's small. He's like the size of an eight-year-old. He has seven fingers. He doesn't talk. And one day, what this is saying is that that will all be wiped away. And this, by the way, think about the notion of the creation being renewed. It means my son, he has a problem where, literally, where where human rebellion has affected the creation at the genetic code level, such that my son has Cornelia DeLange syndrome and I have to wear glasses, right? That will be fixed. David will have 10 fingers, he will be whatever height he's meant to be, he will talk, right? All these bad things are removed. And then I think about this, I have had moments where I have literally been like curled up in a ball weeping over difficulties he's having, over things that we've had to deal with, with him. And I think this says that one day, not all our tears will go away. Like, as a dad, I think about it, he says, he will wipe away our tears. Like, if you have kids or you've been around kids, like, you've seen a little kid when they make that face where, like, the whole world is, like, falling apart. And they do that thing where they're just, like, and, like, giant tears just all of a sudden just well up in their eyes and, like, you know, and you're just, like, uh, I don't know what's going on, but, like, anything to make it better. Like, this is horrible. Like, you know, sometimes it's that their cookie fell, and sometimes that, like, they really hurt themselves. You never know, but, like, and it's just, like, you just want to fix it. And, I mean, as a dad, the number of times that I've literally held my son and wiped his tears away and, and comforted him, God himself is going to do that with us as our father, as our king, That's what, that's what we're looking forward to when God comes to dwell with us. He gives us eternal life, um, as it says, in, in, in uh, verse, uh, starting in verse 6. And he who is seated at the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And by the way, when God says, Hey, write this down, write it down. It means it's important. Uh, he said to me, It is done. I... And the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment. One of the major images of life in the Bible is water. Um see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Moses and with the people of Israel. We see Jesus talking about being the living water. And here once again, there is water, eternal life, this thing that we've anticipated. No more that we get a taste of it. No more that there's a glimpse of it. No more that it's a reality inside of us. not It's not just what we get after we die, but it will be this thing. We will actually have eternal life forever. We will live forever. It will be realized in full. And then he gives us a challenge to overcome, recognizing that it's God's people that, that receive this. And so he gives us a challenge to overcome, to endure, because God knows that we face so many challenges to our faith, to our belief in him, to our commitment to Christ. And so he challenges us in in, in the middle of of all this to endure, and he says um, in verse seven, the one who conquers, who endures, who overcomes, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So he provides this challenge to us that like, look, look at what's coming. Endure, hang in there, trust me. This is the story to fill your mind with, whatever you're facing. This is the true story. This is, where, this is where reality started and where it's passed and where it's headed. And God wants us to be a part of this day. So he offers this, um, this challenge, this exhortation to us. So, as we're looking at all this, that like, where are we going to spend eternity? And in, in, it's going to be on the earth, and it says the New Jerusalem came down. So then we have to ask the question what does the New Jerusalem look like? Like what? What are we talking about here, right? What will the New Jerusalem look like? Um, so I'll show you. Voila! Somebody took a photograph of it for us, and um, and so we have it. No, it's crazy. There's this whole this whole chunk um, of Revelation 21 that like it's so detailed. I'm not gonna read all the. Details, but it it talks about that there's 12 pillars with the disciples names on the apostles names and there's uh, 12 gates with the uh, names of the tribes of Israel and there's there's gold and there's um, emeralds and jewels and all this stuff and I own a jewelry business so like I thought oh I'll finally understand what all this is (laughs) I mean I do but it's it's like it doesn't matter like it's we sometimes get like a little bit over literal in, in reading these things. Like, oh, he's giving us a picture. We can like draw this out, and so we get um, we get a picture like this. And you know, we start kind of thinking like maybe maybe it's not quite so so literal. Like, um, for example, let's talk about size for a second. Like, just to challenge our, our notions. Let's talk size. So um, he says, he, he actually gives dimensions, okay? So he tells us that it is 12,000 stadia, of equal length, length, width, and height, okay? Length, width, height. Um, I was an English major, that's a cube, because um, they're all the same, okay? So for you engineers, I'm with you so far, okay? <laughs> and then, but how long is the stadia? I don't know. Uh, it's about 1,500 miles long. Okay. Again, for you engineers, somebody out there is going to like go and like you're going to calculate this, and you'd be like, "You're a liar!" It's not. It's it's actually 1,380. Okay. So, I know, but it's about 1,500. Um, I was an English major. I don't care. Um, <laughs> still, length, width, height. Okay. So, like, okay. Well, how big is that? Like, I'm sure you have a picture of what. 1,500 square or cubic miles looks like in your mind, right? Like, yeah, of course you do. Well, how big is it? 2,537,716,534 cubic miles. Bam! How big is that? I mean, I, to me it's just a bunch of It's a big number, but it's just a bunch of numbers. I have no idea, right? Well, here you go. Welcome to the new Jerusalem. Um, it's about the size of the better part of the United States. That's the New Jerusalem. Um, OK. <laughs> I'm starting to kind of get a picture here. So OK. But it's, this is a square. That's square miles. What if it's a cube? <laughs> oh. Uh, so <clears throat> again, that's what if you go 1,380 miles um, up from the surface of the Earth, that's what it looks like. So. Like as we're like reading this description, it's kind of like, well, I don't know a lot. Again, I was an English major. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a science guy. Um, uh, that whole that whole like quadrant of um, human learning, like my brain doesn't really work that way very very well. Um, but I know that if you put a square that relative size on a ball that spins, it causes problems. <laughs> Right? Some of you guys can like go for a fun project, go work out the math of this, and uh, you can you know tell us later what, what would actually happen. But I'm pretty sure everything wouldn't just continue to operate as normal. So um, so what on earth is going? Literally, what on earth is going on here? Like, is this really what we're looking for? Like, is this is this what? Like, are we supposed to take what they're saying this way? Well, here's the deal. Um, it, this was not written to us. Like we always have to remember this in reading the Bible. That it was written to somebody else first. It applies to us, but it was written to somebody else first, in a different language, in a different country, with a different worldview, in a different time, a whole different set of assumptions. Right? So when he's describing all this, maybe if we're gonna understand what he literally means, maybe we need to be like we need to like understand the the world that he's speaking into. And so a very important word that, um, that comes uh, up is there's this Greek word uh, called the oikoumene, and it's, it's a, a shorthand in, in Greek for the known world. They would refer to like the known world as the oikumene. In fact, Jesus um, in, in Matthew 24, uh, 14, he says, um, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He says, it will be preached to the Oikimene, the whole world. So how big is the whole world? Well, we know. It's like the globe, the size of, you know, however big the globe is. Um, We know. I don't actually know, but, you know, we we know. Well, for them, the known world, it's not our known world. It's their known world. It's the Mediterranean. It's like the Roman Empire and a little bit more. And you'll notice there, again, there's our little square showing about 1,500 square miles, what it covers. But, again it's not so literal, they thought that the known world was about 12,000 stadia, about 1,500 square miles. That's, that's what they thought. So when we look at what this description of the new Jerusalem and what it looks like and what, what, is, what John is trying to communicate to us here, what the, the vision that God is showing us of the new world, it's not that it looks like this, Next slide. Oh, sorry. Nope. I'm going to back up. Here's the next thing we gotta, we got to remember. Also, uh, sorry, you can go to the next one. Here's the other issue. It's not a square. It's a cube. We've got to keep remembering this cube issue. So where is there a cube in Scripture? There is one other cube, and it's very precise, and it's very important. It's the Holy of Holies in the temple, which you can't see here, but you see here that there was, when you enter the temple, you go into the holy place, and then where God's presence dwelled, the most holy place, the holy of holies, it's a cube. And you can get the measurements in various places in the Old Testament, both for the tabernacle and for the temple. So we see that it's, it's a cube, and that is where God resides. That is where his presence is on earth. So when we're starting to take this notion of the whole known world and its size and everything coming down and all these measurements and what they're trying to communicate it doesn't look like this as we said before like this is us being too like scientifically literal but if we want to get what they what they actually mean it looks like this the whole earth is god's temple in fact it's where god himself dwells so the whole earth is the holy of holies and we are his priests in it it's a very different picture so the details they're super important but not in the way we might think if you know if if we miss the way the way god's describing it all so um, and then here's the next thing that's cool. Not only is it the whole earth, but it's um, uh, it's God's temple for the nations. So it's the New Jerusalem comes down. We have the Holy of Holies, and it's the temple for the nations. And um, we'll just go forward. There's like a picture of like a relief of like stone people. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. So um, it tells us um, there's this amazing connection between Isaiah 60 and looking forward and then to this passage in Revelation where it talks about um, it talks about the kings of the earth bringing in, uh, bringing in their glory and their wealth and all this. And there was this thing in the ancient world um, in, in Rome uh, called the triumphal procession. And this is actually from the triumphal arch in Rome, uh, the, the arch of Titus. And what they would do is they would do two things. They would build those big arches that you've seen, like the Arc de Triomphe, but that's based on Roman arches and um, and then they would do thing, they would they would put like pictures of the conquered people on and they would then literally march a bunch of people into the city that they had conquered carrying all their wealth and their treasure and all their sacred items and all these things to represent that these things, these people, and these items, these things, they are no longer in the service of the outsiders. They are no longer in service to the opposition to Rome. But these things have been captured and taken into the service of Rome, so that all of Rome could see this happening. And in like form, here he talks. John talks about describes this. This. this marching in of the of the kings and the nations and their their wealth and their glory to represent that they will one day march in to God's kingdom and and the things that formerly opposed God the the ships the weapons the 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 tools the the iPhones the space shuttles whatever that we have made while they they used to to be out of one vision and one world and and sometimes driven by something opposing God, now they will be refashioned into His service. So, like you can think of like passages where it says like, um, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Right. The idea is that that no longer will humans' tools and things be um, weapons of or tools of destruction and chaos and um, you know, and opposition to God, but rather they will be refashioned to serve God and to be tools of creation and, um, and, and put into his service. So, um, and God will bring in the nations because God has always been a God, not of exclusivity, but of inclusivity. It has been his goal from the beginning that the peoples of the earth would be his people. And so it's the realization of that. So that's the next thing. We see God's temple for the nations. And then last, so there you go, there's the um, comparison of the two passages. But meanwhile, on to the next slide. Sorry. <laughs> it was good read. You got all that? Good. Okay. Um, restoration of Eden. So the last thing that we see, so heaven comes to earth. That's the first thing. Uh, the earth is God's temple. That's what all those descriptions are about. And the last thing we see is the restoration of Eden, right? Again, the story ends as it begins and then some, right? So um, go to the next slide. So, first of all, there's the image of the living water. Again, we said that there's, there's water all through the Bible. In Genesis, there's a river flowing out of Eden and becomes the great rivers of the Middle East of, of Eden. In um, Revelation 21, uh, what we see is there's now a great river flowing through the middle of the city, flowing from the throne of God. So, again, that, that image of water and the river of life is, is restored. Uh, next, we have the tree of life. Again, there's the tree of life in the middle of the Garden of Eden. When uh, Adam and Eve rebel, they are driven away from the tree, uh, the tree of life. And in Revelation 22 and, and in the new uh, creation, in the new Jerusalem, there is again the tree of life um, yielding its fruit all year long, healing the nations. So again, it's as it began, so it ends, and then some. Next. No curse. Again, uh, when Adam and Eve uh, rebel, um, their, uh, their curse, they experience for the first time, um, the, the very first thing that they experience is, you've got to remember they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? What did they learn? Nothing about good. All they knew was good. What they learned about was evil, Right? So the first thing that they learn in the curse, the first curse they experience is they know evil. They experience pain, shame, alienation. Right? And then God tells them, and the consequences of this is you now are under curse. And and part of this is there's, there's pain in childbirth, there's um, you know, there's uh, toil. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Once again, by the way, the earth being cursed <laughs> because of our rebellion. Um, you know, you'll eat of it um, only in pain. Um, and and so the curse is is again developed. But in, in the new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. So, so. Now the curse is, all the curses are removed. There's no longer shame and pain and alienation. Instead, there is a sense of being adopted and known and connection and service as we were always meant to experience. So no curse and we'll see God's face. All this time we keep talking about the presence of God in the garden, in the temple, and Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, and in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will see God face to face. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of, uh, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So, once again, the Garden of Eden Is also restored. So, as we keep saying, the story ends as it began. Heaven comes to earth. Uh, The earth is God's temple. There's the restoration of Eden. God's purpose all through this is that his people would enjoy God's fellowship, having that relationship with him that we see him pursue over and over and over again, reflecting his character in the world as his image bearers, that we reflect him in the world. And in this way, we fill the earth with his kingdom of justice, mercy, love, and holiness. And in the new creation, this is all there will be with no opposition, a place where everything that is wrong is made right, from Cornelia DeLange syndrome to sex trafficking to ISIS, to whatever. It, it is all put to rights. Justice, mercy, love, and holiness. And so the point of all this is, again, we see the story develop from uh, creation, rebellion, redemption, and final restoration, right? Cool, cool little painting. Uh, next. Um, so the point here is stories matter. The stories that are in our minds, the story that inhabits our, our that inhabit our minds, they're the ones that drive our lives. Everything from from very small stories. Um, this morning, uh, just to, to use like a, a like something super concrete. This morning, um, you know, as as we were eating breakfast and whatever, um, Lisa said something to me, and like and I totally stopped, and I'm like, immediately, like I heard this tone in her voice, and I, she had a look on her face and I'm like, I totally, I had the story in my mind immediately. I'm like. Okay, so like you're like mad at me, and you think I'm stupid, and whatever. And I'm like, so I like kind of stop, and I'm like, are you like mad at me right now? Right. And one of the things Lisa and I have been doing is to like check our stories with each other. I highly recommend that if you're married or intend to be, <laughs> check the stories in your mind and see if they're true. Do it with your roommates too. You might or coworkers. You might be surprised. Um, <laughs> maybe she didn't actually mean to hurt your feelings. Maybe she wasn't even thinking about you. Anyway. Um, so I'm like, like, what is this, you know? And she's like, What? No. I. What are you talking about? Like, this uh, this whole other thing is going on. I, like, I didn't even intend that whatsoever. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I checked. So the, everything from small stories to um, to large stories. Um, you know, again, I. Uh, for me, one of the poignant stories in this whole like story of God and creation to new creation that that, like, impacts us personally is, you know, when we think about David, that that one day when David was born, all of a sudden my interest in the story of God and my interest in what's coming one day, like, it became a, a much more poignant issue for me. And to realize that one day, as we've said, the DNA, the way that the earth is, is cursed in the creation, and even to the genetic level, that that will be corrected and that he will... Uh, be free of Cornelia DeLange syndrome, that there will be no more sickness, that there will be, um, you know, that he will be restored. There will be no more tears shed over genetic syndromes. And, and to realize that, like, of course I care about that because that's my son, right? But to realize that's just one small glimpse into this very large restoration and redemption and and making of making wrongs right that God will do one day, right? That that one day everything will be put to rights. So you start thinking about injustices in the world, and you think about people suffering, and you think about so many things happening in the world. And if you can inhabit this story, it you can go you can you can go from a from a, a posture of You know, it doesn't really matter what we do anyway because nothing ever works out or no matter what we try, things still go bad or whatever. I mean, all kinds of things that we think sometimes, right? To like, wait a second. I live in a story. Reality is. One day, everything gets put to rights. So if I am engaged in putting things to rights to the best of my ability in this age, in the name of Jesus, then that is a worthwhile pursuit. That matters, that is in line with where history is going and what God is doing. That is reflecting the image of our creator. Right? Big stories. And the story of God. One of the things, um, that, again, that I think, and, and so, many, so many things I, I, I could share here, um, but, but one, you know, just this notion of being made in the image of God. I mean, thinking about being made in the image of God. That we participate God invites us, he includes us to participate with him in in his pursuit of his creation and establishing his kingdom of justice, mercy, love, and holiness. And to think that, that that means that you and I, we are precious in God's sight because we are made in his image. Like I don't know why it is, but sometimes in the church we get this like notion in our minds that like, you know, everything I do, I'm worthless, you know, oh, I'm unworthy, and, and you know, oh, I'm 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 just a, a worm, you know, and some version of that, like you know, and where, where somehow we think like like we're not good enough, and it's and it's like really Christian to think that, that somehow like we're you know we're 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 like bad inherently, and it's like <laughs> it's not true. We are made in the image of God. God placed us in his temple to reflect himself to one another. And if we reflect his image, how can we be worthless? Like, we're precious. We're so precious that God has pursued us over the course of the history of the planet. So much so that he sent his very own son to die for us And that one day, he is going to refashion existence so that he can come live with us. Not us with him, but him with us. How can we possibly think that like somehow in the cosmic scheme of things, we don't matter? We're at the center of the story. Like... It's, it's crazy. And here's the thing. And, th- and that means like, when, when you and I, when we doubt our worth, when we don't think that we're good enough, when we, you know, whatever, like, and we have those like, things that like, short-circuit are, are existing in the world, like, we have to remember that like, God has designed each of us to, like, to engage with the world, to, be, to participate with him in this renewing project of the world in, in unique and special ways. Like, not to just, you know, not, not to just not do that. And then, here's the next thing, and it gets really cool. If, he's, if that's who you are, that's also who others are. And this is another thing that for some reason in the church sometimes we, we like miss a bit, is that If I'm precious, then so is the other person. If I'm made in the image of God, so is the other person. Both people that we know and like and they're like us and they like the same things that we do and they're into the same things that we are and also people who don't look like us and aren't like us and believe different things than us and that we don't like so much and that we have a hard time with, all of us are made in the image of God. And that means that in every case, we've got to represent God to one another, to recognize that I am to bear God's image to you and when I see you, you are an image-bearer to me. And, and, you know, one of the, like, amazing things is the way you treat, in the ancient world, the way you treat the image is the way you treat the God. And Jesus says, um, however you have treated the least of these is the way you have treated me. That's the burden of this image-bearing. It's, it's amazing. And there's so many more things in this big story, but um, that's even more than we even have time for. So, all that to say... Stories matter because uh, God's kingdom of justice, mercy, love, and holiness will come down and free the earth. We are free, empowered, and equipped to enjoy God's fellowship and reflect, bear witness to his character in the world, even now looking forward to that future day. So as we transition now um, from a time in the word to a time of response, um, I want to invite you into this time of response. And there's, there's a, a few different ways, but um, especially invite you to the table to take communion. Uh, I, one of the things that I love about communion, it is a reminder, a tangible reminder. Think about Jesus in time in history, one day took bread, literally broke it, and gave it to people, and took a drink, took wine, gave it to people, said, eat this, drink this. Whenever you do it, think of me. And for 2,000 years, there's been this physical reminder in the world that takes different forms, that looks a little different, but we keep doing it because Jesus one time did this physical act in the world. It's crazy. So you can respond by taking uh, communion and, and this representation of this story of God that he has given us. Of course, prayer. Um, You might want to just sit where you are and pray and reflect. Maybe God's touched your heart. Maybe you need uh, somebody to pray for you. There will be people up here and invite you to just come on forward, and there will be people to pray. And, of course, um, we can sing praise to the Lord.